the late 80s, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Pat Trek. My continuing mission to introduce my friend Patrick to the best show that ever ran on television and to boldly go where millions of white guys with glasses have gone before. Hello and welcome to Patrick. This is the show where my friend Pat O'Rourke introduces me, Patrick Winnegar, to Star Trek The Next Generation, a show that I've never seen. And I have seen a ton of times. And Patrick, I've missed you, man. I've just been so lonely floating here in my condo. Pat, I feel I- like there used to be more, more of us, more time together. Pat, I was here last week. What? I was here last week. It's only been a week? Yeah. Oh. You all right, man? I don't know. You're just kind of lost in your own thoughts here? Yes. Maybe lost in everyone else's thoughts? You know, it feels that way. Yeah? Someone's what? thoughts who I am commonly lost in are Zach Mast's. <laughs> that sentence made sense, right, Zach? You know, my thoughts are, are noise. In fact, it's noise for your listeners. So yeah. I'm <laughs> sorry to be here. <laughs> That's why you're here. Yeah. Zach, it's been too long since you've been on the show. It's it been has, a while. It's been a long time. I haven't podcasted in a while. Yeah. Um, Do you know how to talk still? Uh, no, I haven't talked in three months. Wow. Since the last time you podcasted? <laughs> yeah, that's the only time that I'm a, like, that I feel... He's, he's on a vow of silence. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, an involuntary vow of silence. <laughs> it, the rest of the world has vowed to make me silent. No, it's good. Uh, you know what? I, I think the last time I was on Patrick was season one. Really? I think so. I, I think it was Well, I know last we fall. saw the movie together. Yeah, we saw Star Trek Beyond. I don't think I've been on the show since then. And so now suddenly coming into season three, I missed all of season two, which is apparently good, right? Uh, some of season it. Season two's okay. Okay. Well, now Some I'm of in, it is really bad. Yeah. Well, now Let's I'm see. in the heart of, uh, you know, the, the creative renaissance that yes. is Star Trek Genesis. Yeah, I think, Pat, you pointed out uh, Melinda Snodgrass is like the creative director or something by this uh, point. Script supervisor? Script supervisor. She's been on the past several episodes. Yeah. Which is a relatively new thing. It's a season three thing, at least. I don't really know. I just noticed it in the credits. We also have Ronald D. Moore, who is the guy that wrote uh, Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is starting to write scripts now by yeah. season three. Mm-hmm. So th- things have changed, I think, on the personnel front. A you know, I bit. met Ronald D. Moore once. Really? Oh, yeah? He's a cool guy? Yeah, he uh, he came to my college. Uh, I went to Cornell, and he's a Cornell dropout. Oh, okay. You had to, you had uh, to drop that in. Yeah, yeah well, no, okay, well, okay. <laughs> I dropped it in, but here's the thing. I graduated Cornell. And okay, the, yeah, oh, you gotta keep bragging, wow, dude. No, I'm not Cornell. bragging. I'm complaining because all the greatest Cornellians, like the most creative ones, like Ronald D. Moore uh-huh. and Robert Smigel, yeah, and Harry Chapin, they're all and Kurt Vonnegut, they're all dropouts. And anyone who graduated, like, the person who graduated is like Ann Coulter, you know? Like, oh, gross. Oh. Yeah, and so I'm no better than her. She and Bill Maher, you know, like oh. everybody. Oh. So it's like I wish I had Christ. dropped out. <laughs> I wish I had realized it. But I met him, and he came and did like an interview. I interviewed him from the school paper and everything. Along with uh, Christopher McDonald, who was Shooter McGavin. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He was actually in a Star Trek episode a few weeks ago. He was. Oh, maybe they Yesterday's met Enterprise. Maybe, yes. they were, maybe they were friends, and that's... Maybe. There, I think you know? Ronald D. Moore wrote that episode, actually. It was a good episode. It, and it was a great episode. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, because they came together and did a chat. Both super nice guys. But then I was kind of walking around campus, and I saw Ronald D. Moore 
<laughs> like just sadly walking around campus, like thinking about his life years ago. <laughs> you know, it was. He's in a better place now. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, he certainly is. His episodes so far have been pretty good. They've been great. Well, he was the, like his his story was that he like uh, wanted to take a tour of the. Have you talked about this before? Mm. Like he got hired on Next Generation because he knew someone who worked on the show. And he was just like, hey, can you put my script on their desk? Can you put my script on their desk? And she's like, no, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. So then he's like, well, can you set me up with like a tour of the set? And then she's like, okay, sure, we do it all the time. And he took a <laughs> tour of the set, and then he just brought the script with him. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and then, uh, old move. And then like made sure that the script like got on the pile of scripts that were lying around. And then eventually they read it and uh, like immediately hired him. Yeah. Damn. I'm probably bungling that inspiring story. But, yeah, but uh, it, I'm inspired. <laughs> it's a great yeah. story. My version of Ronald D. Moore's story <laughs> is inspiring. Speaking of inspiration, I have a fun fact. Oh, yeah? For uh, uh, Tin Man is the oh, episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, Thank you, Patrick. We, I almost forgot. We forgot to say the name. Yeah, it is Tin Man. Yeah. So Tin Man, also known as Gomtu, we find out the real name of this creature later in the episode. I feel like they kept changing it. He's like, his real name is Bubulo. Gone to. Like, <laughs> they well, weren't consistent with what they called him. No, and I don't know. Once you found out his real name, just use that. Why still call him Tin Man? But we'll get into that okay. later. You know the sound effects, the the noises Gomtu is making, right? The whale uh-huh. things. That is the sound engineer eating pizza into a stethoscope. Oh my god! That's how that noise was made. <laughs> he was eating pizza into a stethoscope. Oh, that's really funny. And then they put the microphone like at the end yep. of the. Was it on his stomach or on his throat or something? <laughs> I think it was on his. Uh, yeah, I think it was on his throat. Oh wow! No, Zach, do Zach, not do this. Please, oh god, everyone has stopped listening. <laughs> yeah, this, this is why you haven't podcasted yeah, in a while. <laughs> this is not NPR. We're not going to make yeah. chewing noises. Everyone's uh, got a really wet uh, mouth. Everyone's got a wet mouth on NPR. <laughs> Hate that shit. Yeah, so I have a headline for Patrick's log. Tin Man came out on April 23rd, 1990, and I found a great headline. Turtles reefs 9.9 million in weekend sales. Those Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles continue to dominate the box office. With weekend ticket sales of an estimated 9.9 million, New Line Cinema's PG-rated Turtle Tale has grossed about 89.5 million after just four weeks. And it's all about how it knocked Pretty Woman out of the top... uh, (laughs) So wait, this is the first one? The first uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one. I loved that movie. Awesome movie. That's the first movie I remember seeing in the theater. Uh, The first movie I remember seeing in theaters was Encino Man, but I know know for a fact I saw Secret of the Ooze in theaters. Yeah. Because I remember doing that. Right. I missed missed out on Ninja Turtles. Really? I didn't see it until I was like... uh, 10 or something. That's no, way yeah. too late. I know. It was, it was too late, and all my friends were already into Ninja Turtles, and I was like, yeah, these guys are fun, I guess. You know? <laughs> that but was like the big thing when I was oh, little. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have I, you, thought you, I thought you meant the turtles, like the, I can't see me love. And oh, yeah, no, 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 not like the turtles. That, that the turtles had become platinum or something. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, not happy together, but the, the Teenage Mutant variety. Oh, sure. <laughs> so this is like the height of the turtles Turtle craze. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Beatlemania. Right, but, but for seven-year-olds. I like that. Where <laughs> yeah. was that copy from, by the way? Because they said... The L.A. Times. Sony's Turtle Tale. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's not clever. I don't know who wrote this. <laughs> it, it was some staff writer. Have you ever seen the original comic book? How it's yeah, nothing totally like... different. Oh, well, they're making so dark. Fun of comic books, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a parody of comic books, and the, the creators were like, what is the dumbest thing that we can create? 
Teenage and, and Mutant, Teenage Ninja, Mutant Turtles. Ninja Turtles is, were just some words at random that they well, put together. Well, because the phrase Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, we're so used to it that we're just like, it's a thing. But like, it's actually a pretty funny title. Yeah, yeah it's Teenage really dumb. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, it just keeps getting more yeah. absurd as yep. it goes on. Oh, um, it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know I don't I, feel at all embarrassed for loving that shit when I was seven years old. I've tried to revisit it. It probably does not. It's it's difficult. It's like <laughs> watching GI Joe or something. Right. It's it's hard. That's one of those things. That, so my dad used to like we would order a movie on pay per view and then he'd just tape it. Mm-hmm. And I like we didn't buy movies. We just did this. And so I had Jurassic Park and all that stuff. Don't arrest Mr. Mast, police. Yeah. If you're listening. Hey FBI, you try to catch me now. <laughs> Zach Mast is a pseudonym. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter at Zach Mast. Um, <laughs> And so I had Turtles 3, tr- you know, Turtles in Turtles Time. Turtles in Time? Oh, the one that made the movies jump the shark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's but, when they started to suck. Yeah. But, but, I mean, I don't know when that came out. Probably. It had no budget. It was like 96, I think. Yeah, 96. Yeah. I must have been like 9 or 10 when I watched it. Mm-hmm. And like, so I loved it. I kept watching it all the time. But now it's like, it's a terrible movie. Oh, it's horrible. It's not but good. that was the only real Turtles movie that I watched as a kid. So I loved it. Oh, you got to watch the first one. I know. Well, I would go over to friends' houses and we would watch it and mm-hmm. I'd say, this is great, but I never like... Because you just like the movies that you watch over and over again. Right. Like know? Home Alone. Yeah. 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. I think I've seen that movie 7,000 well, times. Well, I had Jurassic 101 Park on times. tape and <laughs> I watched to watch Jurassic Park 30 yeah. times. Yeah. Of course, now I watch Jurassic Park and I'm like, oh, Spielberg is such a genius, man. <laughs> you know? But back then I was like, oh, dinosaur... Eat. <laughs> Dinosaur eat. Yeah. You were a smart kid. I can see how you got into Cornell. <laughs> yeah, and graduated like a dumbass. <laughs> well, we should get into the yeah, episode. Tin Man. So yeah, this is the episode. Uh, it's kind of a weird one. This is it is a weird one. Definitely. I, I'm trying to think of a category to put it in. I can't really. Well, it's a psychological thriller. I yeah, think. a little bit. It's supposed to be at least. Yeah. So it starts off with. I think it's. Uh, I think it's the most dramatic. I think it's closer to modern prestige TV than it is to the Star Trek I've seen. Hmm. That's my take. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, go ahead. I can see that. Uh, So it starts off, the Enterprise is on, like, a routine scouting uh, mission for, like, a colony thing. Mm -hmm. As per usual. Right. It doesn't matter. This doesn't come up again. Mm -hmm. Uh, They pick up the USS Hood on their sensors. And this guy shows up on the view screen, Captain Robert DeSoto, he knows Wesley, I think, or something. He knows Picard as well. Yeah, he knows Picard. Like They I all know each other. We've seen this guy before. I don't know. I don't remember him, but we are meant to think... He's a familiar face. He's a familiar face to everybody. Right. But, by the way, this... Can I just say, this part was my, my favorite part of the entire episode. Why? Because he says a line, he's just like, hey, Will. Like, he goes to Riker, he's like, hey, Will. He knows Will. That, yeah, he yeah. knows Riker. <laughs> he says, like... Uh, you're going soft there on your ship, huh? Yeah. And then <laughs> there's a shot of Riker looking at Deanna knowingly, and Deanna kind of giving him like a little shrug. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like that's a little like sexual innuendo, I think. Like that's how I took it. Well, in the future, no one gives a shit about that. Well, yeah. In as the future, we just, everybody, as we discussed everybody just in last down. No one cares about yeah. impotence. Or Everyone anything, just gets or? down. No, no, they care about impotence. Oh, I thought he was saying like he was giving. Uh, he was giving oh, Riker saying Riker's shit. impotent. Yeah, that he was calling him impotent, and he looked at Deanna and being like, no, I'm not. You know. See, I think we're supposed to think that Riker served under him at some point. Yeah. Well, then DeSoto why, was his old well, then why Oh, that's right. He was. Yeah. Yes, we know that for like, sure. And, that's, and I, been, that's been established. I'm not trying to be sexist here or anything, but it's like, why have the shot 
of Riker looking at Deanna. Dude, then, I don't know, because it was made in 1990. <laughs> they're teasing the will they, won't they? Are they? So in the show right now, they are? I, they, they They've have been doing several it for times. three years. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, okay, so they tried to fit that moment in, but it just comes after a line. That makes yeah, it's not a good line to come after. <laughs> Seems like I, I know, yeah. But but her smiling back at him is to indicate like, oh, I know him so well too. You know, oh, you're yeah. not soft. Is like where they're going. <laughs> right? It's just a weird line to do that. On <laughs> they could have done it on any other line, and yeah, I would totally. pick that up instead. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's basically just relaying some orders to them. He doesn't really have a whole lot to do. He just is like a courier now, basically, Captain DeSoto. Yeah. But he's, he's a little bored. Yeah, he's a little bored, but he says, y'all have a really cool mission coming up, but I can't tell it to you. We're going to send this guy Tam because... Tan Elron Hubbard. Yeah, Tam, <laughs> Tam Elbrun. Elbrun Elbron or something. <laughs> they were saying Elron. They were saying they Elron. They were saying Elron, but in I'm, I'm looking at it written down. It is Elbron. Oh. So... This guy is going to relay the orders to them in person because there's a bunch of Romulans in the area, and they're worried about it like being picked up. Mm-hmm. So he's like, this dude's coming, just a heads up. All right, see you later. Bye. And that's something, uh, Zach, since you've seen the show with us last, that's something that's been boiling under the surface There's now. a Cold War with the Romulans. With basically. the Romulans. Yeah. So the Romulans are effectively, we know if we interact with them, it's dangerous. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, you understand Romulans, no good. Yeah. So uh, Riker does not like the idea of this Tam guy coming to the ship because he knows him. There is this thing called the Garusha disaster where a bunch of people died, and uh, there's this guy, Captain Darson, that was apparently really respected. He died too, and Riker blames Tam for him. Mm-hmm. Like He was like, it, it was his fault. He was supposed to stop it, and he didn't. So I thought this was very interesting in this episode. A lot of new characters uh-huh. being interconnected with backstory of characters we already know. We're we have a whole bunch of backstory from Starfleet thrown at us in this. And yeah. I, I gotta be honest, as a new viewer, it was kind of hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh I I got it eventually, but Yeah. Usually we don't see that from the mm. new person that gets introduced. They're right. not usually so interconnected. Yeah. It's just like a rando because Riker knew him. And so does Deanna Troy. Troy knows him because uh, he's a Betazoid. Yes. So Troy says, hey, when he shows up, I want to come meet him uh, because I I need to, like, help him acclimate. On that note, like, so Deanna Troy, like, she knows him, right? And she says that he used to be my patient or whatever. Like, he was hospitalized mentally. Yeah. And that relates to sort of the theme of the episode and, and the plot and everything and the character of Tam. But then Riker also has a history with him. And there's a little scene. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of you. Here, no, go ahead. Where Riker, uh, I think, is with uh, with Jordy or Data, and he goes in the elevator, and he has a whole monologue about the past. Yeah, with Tam. great scene. Yep. And like, I think that might have been a great scene, but I was a little lost there. I was too. Where like, I didn't really know what that scene was about, but everything with Deanna, was, I thought was was really interesting. The stuff with Deanna connected more to me, and it was easier for me to follow as a first time viewer, just because yeah. they're both Betazoids. I kind of know what the situation is, and it adds more to this lore about the Betazoids that is right, pretty interesting. Yeah. I thought there was a really cool contrast with, like, like we know about Deanna being a Betazoid and everything, how right. she can control it, and the whole thought was, well, what if... This, this must have been the writer being like, well, what if a Betazoid couldn't really control... Or, or like, just... Because um, his whole thing is that he, from when he was a kid, 
Yeah. Like, normally, at adolescence, they get their powers or whatever. But no, he, from birth, he was always doing thoughts and feelings, right? It's like, well, that what is, what is it like when you only see thoughts and feelings and you don't have the time to sort of understand human nature before you start listening to people? Right. And so I thought it was a really cool exercise. And like, it really informed Deanna's character, too, to contrast it to this guy. Yeah. I thought that, I thought it was really interesting. I think, though, and then we got to get back to the plot. I think what they always do to Deanna Troy is she can't dominate too much of the story. They just don't let her. Uh, she nope. never does. She never so, gets to shine, which. No, un- she unless, doesn't. Unless we're talking about the child, which was a terrible episode. Yeah, but I think part of that, and no offense to the, to the actress, but I don't think she can hold scenes for too long. So you notice her scenes are pretty short often, and they'll cut to like Riker and his conflict. So I think to dimensionalize this character, they didn't want to give it all to Deanna Troy. For whatever, there's a lot of reasons for that. Sexism and all sorts of problems with the structure of Deanna Troy's character. Yeah. But whenever we see her, they do stuff like this where she's got a major plot point or a major uh, uh, cornerstone of the story. Mm-hmm. And they give another piece to somebody else. Well, I, I, I agree with you here because, like I just said, I think that's a really interesting contrast between her and informs her character. But by the end of the episode... Data, like it's a story about Data, really, and like yeah. his journey. Yeah. Whereas they had an opportunity to really flesh out Deanna's character instead. They never do. Yeah. So yeah. far, when we and I've I've and I've got a little bit of flack on this for Twitter recently for being too hard on Deanna Troy. I, it's not that we're hard on Troy, right? It's we're hard on the way that she's treated by the writers. Yeah, exactly. She never gets she could, the same arc that other characters yeah, have gotten Yeah, and she has already. the potential to be a really interesting, fleshed-out character, and I, I don't think they ever give her that chance. Well, and, and I'm going way ahead here, but while we're talking on the subject, it's like at the end of this episode... Oh, uh, spoiler alert! Spo- yeah, I'm going to spoil it. It's like, well, but then when he decides to stay in the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then... And then Data, it's like Data learned something from that. But it's like, what if Deanna had gone down there? And then he's just like, I'm going to stay in here. And she's almost just like, I don't feel anything right now from this creature. Nope. Like, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, you're right. I'm just saying. It's well, like, you're right. They never do She's that either Deanna. incapacitated or unable to use her powers. Or sometimes... She straight up is just gone. Yeah. They don't explain where she went or what happened to her. Well, right, she's just gone. She's out of the story. But imagine, so at the end of this episode, she goes and she's just like, look, I, I can't sense what you sense right now. And it's almost like he, like he's imagining that he's sensing something. She's like, I don't sense what you're sensing right now, but I'm gonna, I understand why you need to be here. Because she's the one with the history with him. Yeah. He just yep. met Data a day ago. Yeah. And it's like, then we would learn, and Deanna says like, I my powers didn't work down there, but I had to let him go. Mm-hmm. Right, like that would be way more interesting than Data being like, "Nope, yeah. I learned." Well, I, I, but to be fair, and we need to get back into the actual chronological <laughs> order of how things happened. And I think Data's journey on this episode was great. It was. It it, it was. Yes, that's true. So but to be it, fair, that part was but well but, done. But doesn't Data have enough episodes where he learns? Yeah, that's so the thing. Far? Yeah, Data has plenty of these episodes. I can't argue that because yes, it happens all the time. Hey, I have, but he, but that's the thing. That's why I, I'm going to, and I, I know this sounds terrible, but performance. Brent Spiner portraying Data leads to very captivating scenes. So I have to think that maybe there's a, an issue well, with Deanna Troy of being able to pull off very captivating well, scenes he, like Data. But, you, but we're talking about how she's not given good material, right? Yeah, I know. Brent Spiner so like is a, given great material. Yeah. So it's a it's a cart horse situation, right? Like yes. wh- which thing is causing what? I have no idea. 
I have no idea. I can yeah. just leave it there. I, I'm just saying that the potential to do a great episode about Deanna was there. Yep. Um, this is probably was too like what maybe the fifth or sixth episode where that's a thing you could say. Yep. Like, where was Deanna Troy? This is her story, and she's mm-hmm. just gone. Totally missed. Yeah. So when Tam comes, by the way, so he <laughs> yeah, hasn't even showed up back. yet. I know yeah. we're five minutes. Shut the fuck up, <laughs> Zach. Sorry. No, it's all right. I'm just messing with you. Yeah, Tam shows up, and you know all that stuff happens. Like he's really brusque and you know mean to everyone but Deanna Troy because she's a Betazoid, and they can kind of read each other's minds. Uh, he is interested in Data though because he's like, I can't read you. It's like you're not even there. He's shocked by Data's very existence. Yeah, he, notice he didn't even perceive with his eyes where people were because he would have seen Data right away. He turns around and is like. <gasps> Yeah. Oh my God! There's another being in the room. Right. right. And he's clearly not part of Starfleet because he's wearing a weird Shakespearean. Oh yeah. Oh tunic. yeah. Right. Yeah. As we went over on the last week's uh, episode, when people are not in Starfleet for some reason, they all wear like Shakespeare peasant outfits. <laughs> or yeah, dress like pirates. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's what he's style. That's what he's dressed like. I and kept I kept thinking throughout this episode that they just picked him up at like the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, Festival right? Yeah, <laughs> and, like they're like, don't even bother. We don't need a costume for you. Just yeah. show up in whatever you're wearing for Henry V. Right. <laughs> so it, what's weird though is how he treats Data because like Picard, he hands uh, Picard some disc or some stuff, and he like treats Data like a thing at first. He's he like, does. oh yeah, you got to go to the bridge with this. Yeah, I'll see you at the bridge. I think it's important to note here, he is reading Captain Picard's mind yep. and giving the orders that Captain Picard he is would have been the giving. order from Picard to Data without Picard saying Yeah, it. he's kind of cucking Picard here. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. <that> word. <laughs> but if yes. you want to use that terrible word, yes. I hate that word. <laughs> but yes, no, he is. And I think, uh, and I mentioned this to you, Zach, while we were watching it, that is really uncouth behavior for yeah. a Betazoid. They, they don't act that way. But he doesn't know. Like, as... It's kind of hinted that, like, he's socially messed up. Oh, yeah. And it's just because he has this ability that other Betazoids don't have, and it it messes with his uh, ability to perceive social interaction and stuff like that. Now, if I just say now, like, when you said that to me, I was like, oh, yeah, because he seems so neurotic or whatever. I think... Um, we can talk about, but it's like I think this actor does a really good job. Oh, he's great! And like from the yeah. first scene, you can tell that he's kind of neurotic, and he's kind of like uh, not—he's not like un because Deanna sets him up to be like he's unhinged, he's dangerous. But really, it's just he kind of just seems a little tortured and like not really comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. And the actor immediately in the first scene, you get that sets that across. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, he's listening to one thousand thoughts all at once. Yeah. How crazy is that? But. Yeah, he has to listen to like all the people in the bar who are kind of drunk and yeah, <laughs> and it's like mm, I could go for some nachos. <laughs> like, yeah. But also, get- also, I have a question. So Betazoids, can, he can like both. So when he's ordering, giving Picard's orders, right? It's yeah, like, he can listen to thoughts that are like immediate, but he can also just hear like your general state of mind. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So he, he empathy and telepathy. And yes. So Deanna Troy, who's actually only half, half Betazoid, yeah. she only has the empathy part. So she can understand like your intentions and what you're thinking. She can sense emotion. Uh, emotional ranges. She couldn't do word for word like he does. Yeah. Right. Her okay. mother can. Luxana Troy. It really not, does sound like him. a great therapy session. Like you could go to therapy and just be like, Hey, I'm lying to myself twenty four seven. Can you just tell me what my life is like? Yeah. Well that's why she's the counselor. Right. right yeah. Yep. It, 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 it's an interesting uh, creation, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get a different 
view of this, though, from Riker. And this is the scene where they're in the turbo lift and Riker's explaining to Jordy what went down with the Grusha disaster. And basically, he thinks that Tam Elrond should have prevented this thing. Uh, that there was this uh, confrontation with this other group of aliens that he was like, yeah, he should have picked up on this misunderstanding. And that misunderstanding ended with, like, I think, like, 47 people dead. Right. And Riker's whole thing was he wasn't directly responsible. Yeah. But if this guy is so good at these types of situations... Why didn't he prevent it? He's totally screwed up big yeah. time. Because they had... He mentions that there was a board of inquiry, and they weren't able to find, like, direct wrongdoing, so he's mm-hmm. still fine. But he was like, I still blame him, though. Yeah. Which... This does kind of seem like it comes out of nowhere to your guys' earlier observation. Yeah. It comes out of nowhere at the time. In retrospect now, I see how that ties into the episode thematically. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, like, he thinks he's responsible for... And so now you think, like, well, maybe Tam thinks he's responsible for it, too. And so that's why at the end... Oh, I'm sure he does. When, the whole cle- when he realizes that this, this... Like, the same way that he is responsible for a whole crew dying, he sees this vessel who, like, is sad because its whole crew died. And so he sees, like, oh, we have the same hole in our lives just on the, you know, sort of opposite ends of it. And so now we become whole through our grief. Yeah. But at the time, I was watching that scene, I was like, oh, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. (laughs) We find out, though. In the next scene, we're in the observation lounge, and they're going over this mission. The reason why Tam was sent to the ship in the first place. They are beyond explored Federation space. There is like a star. three parsecs pass. I don't think. Yeah, I guess that's a lot. Shout out to Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I think a parsec is actually a real astronomical unit. Yeah. Um, or shout out to George Lucas screwing up that yeah. <laughs> unit. So there's a, a star, the Beta Stromgren star, and it's about to go supernova. There's this thing orbiting the star. They don't really know what it is. But it seems like it's a living thing, even though it appears to be a starship. And they uh, have a code name for it, Tin Man. Well, what they think is that it is something that can traverse space all on its own. Yeah. And they can see it, which... There are no life forms within it. No, no life forms within it. And we've also seen a couple organisms that have... Like, there was that space parasite. Do you remember that thing? Yep. Uh... But that was like an interdimensional being. This is the first time we've really seen something like hanging out in space like that. Yeah. So Except in uh, Star Trek Adventures. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That one. So uh, this whole time, Tam is like interrupting people and saying like, get on with it. And he's being kind of a jerk. And it's really weird and off-putting. And everyone notices it. Mm-hmm. Uh, One of the things that Troy brings up is like, well, why is this so urgent? What's the deal? And Picard's like, well, there are Romulans looking for this thing. So, like, that's why we're going after it, right? And I think Tam even says in this scene, I forgot about the Romulans. It shows you how disconnected he he is is the guy. His whole job was to relay this information to them. And he's like, oh, that's right, the Romulans. Oops. (laughs) But it indicates where his head's at. He doesn't care about Romulans. He's so, like jumbled and and on everything but tin man yes he is of one mind on this thing totally focused on it we have no idea why 
So the Romulans are on their way uh, from a place called Starbase One Two Three, which really seems like a I know it was a placeholder in. name. <laughs> so and you could fa- tell that Brent Spiner thought that too because he's just like they're from Starbase One Two Three. Yeah, <laughs> like he's like, <laughs> like to come try on, and deliver it. Let's make it at least one two four. Yeah. Like he could be like, oh, that's from Starbase. <laughs> 123. <laughs> That's how he could have delivered it. So well, it reminds me of that scene in Spaceballs where they're talking about passwords. The yeah. password is 111. <laughs> That's the same password I have on my luggage. <laughs> so Starbase 123 is a federation. <laughs> it's so funny. It's a federation <laughs> Starbase that picked up these two Romulan cruisers, and they're on their way to like intercept Tin Man. And, yeah, the Enterprise has got to reach it before them. That those are the stakes, basically. And like, we know I'm, the Enterprise is faster than the Romulan ship, right? But we don't really know what this thing is. Mm-mm. Like it could be a super weapon. They, it could be just like a space whale sort of thing. <laughs> we don't really know. So space shark. The meeting's over, and now Picard and Riker are talking about uh, talking to Tam about like, hey, you know, it's kind of weird you didn't mention this Romulan thing. That was your job, right? That's what you were sent to the ship to do, and he didn't. You forgot. What the hell is wrong with you? And Riker hates this guy, by the oh, way. Oh yeah, I love that Riker side eye. Oh man, he's accusing this guy of carelessness, mm-hmm. of not being able to do his job, and you know he watched a lot of people die on this guy's watch, and he his concern just coming from where Riker is coming from, is that it'll happen again to the Enterprise. Nothing is more important to Riker than the safety of his crew. Right. Like, that is his job. And uh, Tam being there is putting all of this at risk. Yeah, but Tam is pissed now because Tam is like, if Captain Darson listened to me, no one would have died. Yeah. So, well, I I think Riker is just pissed because Tam knows that he's impotent. (laughs) (laughs) He's gone soft. Yeah. There's no way Riker is impotent. Trust me. So, yeah, Tam gets pissed. No way. Tam gets pissed and, like, storms out, and, uh, yeah, they continue on the mission. Yeah. But then Dr. Crusher comes and talks to Picard about this whole thing, and Troy, uh, Deanna Troy's there, too. And there's concerns about the mental functioning of Tam. This mission is, for some reason, that we, we are not totally sure why, very, very important to Starfleet. And it hinges on Tam being able to function. But the problem is, is that he's so high on like the scale of telepathy that he's almost unable to function. Well, this is where we get into when he first became telepathic, right? Right, this yeah. Scene. It was like from when he was born, right? Yeah, so from birth. So Which is he's not normal. considered a, a prodigy in telepathy. Yeah. So he's on the, the highest scale of telepathic. But the problem ability. is that he's hearing so many things constantly. It like creates this background noise that he can't tune out. We know, well, again, this might be a little later in the episode. He's been spending time on a planet which only has a couple uh, of very large, very slow moving beings. Well, no, this is where they say it's like he has sought out these assignments where he's with machines or with mm-hmm. uh, aliens that don't really communicate quickly. Yeah. Uh, just so. He can point, tune things out. At one point, he describes their minds as glaciers. And right. He, like, thought and that he that loves was, it. Yes. Now, it's the idea that, um, like with Deanna, like if you normally Betazoids get this power at adolescence and they can sort of control it really well, like they can they cannot read a mind if they mm-hmm. want, right? Right. But he hasn't learned to not control it. 
Right. Okay. It's basically the fire hose is on, and every thought that anybody has is in his head as well. When you look at like Luxiana Troy, who I think is a very interesting character, that's Deanna Troy's mom. Uh, she is such a master of mind reading that she knows when to turn it on and off. And then she'll even lie about reading someone's mind to like change the way a room thinks. So she'll say something to Picard like, oh, don't look at me like that, Picard. Like, because everyone knows she's a Betazoid, so she's, like, leading the room to think Picard's interested in her, although Picard may or may not be. She's a master of the social aspects of being a Betazoid, whereas this guy is the exact opposite. Yeah. Uh, While this is happening, up on the bridge, Wesley picks up a thing called an Echo. Uh, It's just a weird blip on the sensors, basically, and they're not really sure what it is. It is either something that has warped which, if this is Tin Man, there's no explanation scientifically for that to happen because living beings cannot warp. How would that be possible? Yeah. The other explanation is that it's a Romulan warbird, and they're not really sure. They're going to keep their eye on it, though, and so that's happening in the background. Then Troy goes to check on Tam. Tam has been keeping to himself yeah. pretty much this whole time. Just him and Data. He's only been interacting with Data. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that Which is we important. don't see happening. We don't see happening, but Troy brings us up to him, yeah. and he's like, well, I'm able to tune him out. I can't read him. It's nice to be around uh, someone that I can't read. Right. And she's like, well, why are you, like, people have noticed that you're kind of short with them. And he's like, well, because I'm not a nice person. And he's like, well, no, it's because I can't tune anything out, and I don't <laughs> know how to deal with it. Like, I know he, that feeling. He describes, uh, he describes it as drowning. And that being on a ship with so many humans basically is killing them. Deanna Troy says to him, and rightfully so, like, what are you doing? You knew that this was going to happen. Right, yeah. It's true. It's like, he can't complain about this. He knows what what situation he's putting himself into. Yeah. And what he mentions about the Grusha incident was that he got too close to the Grushans. He kind of lost himself in these people. And he says that happens to him frequently. Yeah, and it was because, like, these are the people that were, like, glacial, right? No, those oh, the those people, are the people on the planet where the he was massacre. living on. Yes. Oh, okay. So he he didn't warn the captain, I don't remember the captain's name right now. Darson. He didn't warn Captain Darson hard enough because he was too in the minds of everything. Uh, so Similar he, to the Romulan situation where he forgot about the Romulans yeah. because he's he's too distracted by the, the other inputs going into his brain. Yeah. But part of the reason why he sought out this thing is because he has, like, this connection with Tin Man. Tin Man is a living being just on the far reaches of space, and he feels calm being able to, like, commune with this thing. Well, here's what's super crazy. They are light years away from this being. Yeah. And he is He's connected able to, pick to it, it up telepathically right now. Yeah. He says like it's lonely, and he's and he says all these things. The stuff I said to you at the beginning of this episode. Right. He says that, and Deanna Troy is shocked because powers don't work that way. Normally, no. like we've seen with Deanna Troy, it's a Troy, very strong connection. Yeah, like maybe from the ship to the planet, when the yep. ship is orbiting the planet, maybe you can pick up a couple things. Yeah. This is light years in distance. But it's so, just so sorry. One more thing on that. Yeah. He's got a thousand people on this ship. Uh-huh. Within that range, how many ships do there have to be? How many voices are going through this man's head at, at any moment? But this signal is so strong to him. And they pick it up. 
uh, well, not only light is years it, away. Not only is the signal so strong to him, but like Deanna doesn't hear it, right? No. So this thing obviously has a connection with people who are like him. So it's reaching out to <clears> him. Yes. Like he's not an Which is crazy. How does it even know he exists? I know. Well, it's almost like, you know, because Deanna says that, you know, it's very rare for this to happen, but it happens a lot, right? And it's like, it's because you're led to think like, oh, well, he's a he's got a disability, right? But really, it's like Tin Man is seeking out people like this. Yeah. It's not a disability; it's an asset. Right. And so I think that I think that's the point there. Yeah. <laughs> By this point, though, the Enterprise has pretty much reached the star, Beta Stromgren, the the star that's going to go supernova that Tin Man is orbiting. It is about to collapse. Like they've found that it's contracted. It's going to go supernova at some point. I think this is the third time we've been close to a. Star that's about to Why do they keep explode? going close to these things? I don't know. It's it got to be really hot, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> they always know. do it, and something always happens to the ship when they get within range. Like Data and, and when they go on to the, into the thing, yeah, it's got to be about a million degrees. Yeah, it's a living thing, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, why isn't it burning up? <laughs> yeah, I don't anyway. know. It's not explained. Okay. Uh, by this point, they pick up that echo that I mentioned earlier. The echo of the... Uh, Either they thought it was a living being going warp or a Romulan warbird cloaking. Turns out it's a Romulan warbird, mm-hmm. which I don't know why Tam didn't pick this up. Yeah, that's weird to me. He should have known that there was a warbird behind them because he would have heard their their voices. Yeah, uh, but he didn't. So I don't really know. Yeah. I, Maybe I, the cloak blocked it? No, cloak doesn't work that oh, way. Okay. Well, also, the cloak was a bad cloak because they were burning up too much energy trying you know, to keep Maybe up with he the was just so focused on Tin Man that it's like when he forgot about the Romulans. Empathy! I, doing I, him in again! I think that's <laughs> yeah. closer to what. So going on. the Romulan warbirds <laughs> fly over them. You know, the ship is on red alert and the warbirds fire on the ship. It damages the shields. Mm hmm. And Tam is, like, immediately able to read the commander's mind, and he knows what they're doing. He's like, they weren't attacking you. They're not trying to destroy you. They're doing this to slow you down because they want at Tin Man. Right. And they're on a suicide mission, basically. Yeah, they burned up all of their energy they, to get Their out warp there. coils are damaged now. They can't go back. All they want is Tin Man. How could this thing that nobody knows about be so valuable? Yeah. So. What is it? It's pretty crazy. So the, there's some people have died basically mm-hmm. uh, on, on the Enterprise. They they got hurt pretty bad. Mm-hmm. They go back to Jordy, and you know he's in engineering and he's working like hell to try to get things online. And he says we can have the shields part way back in thirty minutes. And Picard's like, have it in ten. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Which I don't understand how that works. <laughs> it always works that way. They say the uh, Jordy says how long it's going to take. Somebody tells him he's got to do it faster, and then he does it faster. Yeah. yeah. And Pat, you and I were saying they're they're just padding their hours. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like <laughs> a developer or anybody you talk <laughs> yeah. to, they're just like, man, give me three days. It's like, come on, you yeah. can do it. Yeah. Because he's no matter what he quotes. He's going to do it in 10 minutes and then just fuck off for 20 <laughs> minutes. One thing we do know, though, is that there's another Romulan warbird on the way. Yeah, one to two days behind. Yeah. So they're working on uh, repairing stuff. And Picard's like, you know what? I'll let the Romulans contact it first. That's apparently what they're into. <laughs> Fine. Well, they believe that it is in Romulan space. And as Worf puts it, anything a Romulan sets their eyes on, they believe is theirs. Yeah. So they're going to let them do that. So the shields uh, are being repaired, and the sensors are being repaired. Data's working on that. Tam is, like, in his room bothering him. 
Mm -hmm. Just asking him what it's like to be an android and like, oh, you paint. That's cool. Uh, What do you think about this Tin Man thing? Also, I like how um, like Tam is like, oh, you paint, huh? And but there's just a like velvet, like a glittery it's velvet drape pop on an easel, yeah. and it's like, how does he know that that's a painting? Because you can see through it. <laughs> you know, when he picks it up, you can see right through it. <laughs> I don't know why Data put that on top of his painting. Well, in his like, because if I saw that in someone's room, I'd be like, "Oh, you do magic, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, future blankets are really glittery. We've, yeah, we've uh, learned we, that. We went through that in the last episode. Yeah, they had this really interesting <laughs> con- uh, conversation though, because Data's talking about how Tin Man has inner chambers and corridors, and it seems like it was built for carbon-based life forms. Like it seems like it was purpose made, or it just adapted, and that's interesting, right? And Tam is like, so you think you have to have a purpose, or do you just merely exist? And they go through this like talking about like human nature and all this. Well, stuff. Data also responds to that with like, I don't think I'm qualified to answer. I don't, that yeah, question. that's above my pay grade. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he's like, and Tam is saying, no, it absolutely isn't. Like you're a scientist, you um, are, are a you're a thinking person. Yeah, you're a you're a researcher being. without like connection to hu- the human race. Yeah, so feel free to weigh in, Data. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is totally your call. Does Data get paid, by the way? Does he have a pay grade? Uh, Nobody gets. Paid. No one. No one gets paid. There's no. We're in a post scarcity economy. Yeah. Oh. There's no oh, replicators great. that makes whatever you need. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Within yep. the Federation, I love outside it. of the Federation, there is. Some, yeah, yeah. Ferengi have yeah. money and shit, but the um, Federation doesn't need it. Not to get political here, but no, that's it's cool. A, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a socialist utopia. It's a socialist utopia. So Tam is like picking Data's brain on this stuff. And he's able, he's like in his element because Data doesn't register. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like put the noise in his head, basically. Um, but then he's asking Data highly personal questions. Oh, yeah. Which I think is fascinating because he can't get, he would already know that about anybody else. So right. He's not very interested in it. But in Data, He's got to pry it out. I thought and, it was cool because, like, he he has so much trouble socially with everyone else, but with data, like, he has to ask questions and he has to like interact with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it challenges him. Here's where I think this actor does a really good job. It's like the lines yeah. are just like, "Well, what are you thinking about?" But the actor, you can see in his eyes, he's kind of hungry for like, "I don't know anything about you," and so like me asking you is like, this is the first time I've ever been able to ask anybody right. a question I don't know the answer to. Yeah. And I, it's a really well-written scene, I think, and a really yeah. well-acted one, too. Agreed. By, by both Brett and uh, whoever this guy is. I don't know this, this guy, guy is. Yeah. <laughs> he's, so, he's probably like spent 20 years. Oh, yeah. I'm sure like he's a well-respected stage actor. And <laughs> right. like, he was never in anything else. Uh, but I think one of the things that Tam closes with is that there's no sin in being different. And he's kind of like connecting Data to Tin Man, mm-hmm. uh, which I can already kind of see the connections there it's called tin man by the way so yeah it's like oh right yeah he's a yeah data's a tin man yeah like that that's why tam is able to connect with these things so well the title is a double uh Entendre there. I guess. I is don't that know. what double entendre means? <laughs> no, yeah. Well, no. That, Does a double entendre have to do with sex I'm, or something? I'm talking about the, the going soft. <laughs> oh, all right. It's not called going soft. It's called Tin Man. <laughs> so, so, uh, I thought I'm not going soft. <laughs> Call me in five weeks <laughs> for going soft. The f- finale of season three. So they go back to the bridge. That's and best of both worlds. Great finale. <laughs> 
uh, Data and Tam go back to the bridge, and they're picking up like these uh, transmissions from the Romulans to Tin Man. And Tam is like, Tin Man doesn't want to talk to the Romulans. <laughs> and Riker's like, what, what makes you think he wants to talk to you? And then Data picks up some kind of sensor reading saying that the Romulans are going to attack. Like, uh, that they got to have a space battle again. And Tam is like, look, we're not the target. Tin Man is the target. If they can't have it, if they can't capture this thing, they're going to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so get up there. We, we, need to, we need to intervene or we will fail the mission. So Enterprise goes on and uh, they hail the Romulans. And Tam is like, look, the Romulans, remember, I can read these guys' minds. They're not going to listen to you. And then he <laughs> this is, this is uh, when he concentrates on uh, Gomtu. Which mm-hmm. is the name of Tin Man, by the way. Yes. Yeah. So he says, "Danger, Gomtu, do not allow." This is when the thing spins around. It blows the first Romulan ship up. Uh, what happened before was the Romulans uh, just overshot the Enterprise, and that was pretty much it. Mm. But this is where it blows the Enterprise way the hell back, and you know they're 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 thrown off course. So uh, Picard is like, "It seems that you have awoken the Tin Man." <laughs> We don't know what the hell this thing is, but it has an amazing like power within it. Uh, By the way, the delivery from Patrick Stewart, it seems you have awoken this tin man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Picard is like, what the hell? How are you able to do this? Yeah, how long have you been able to talk to him? Yeah, and they send him to sickbay. Dr. Crusher is like, well, he's fine. And Tam is like, oh, so I'm going to live, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. He did have this nauseous look on his face. Yeah, he looks like hell yeah he looks terrible but apparently he's just under stress and you know they, they got to fix the ship they got to get it back in working order so they can head back to the star uh so see but, i took it the other way i'm sorry what that i thought he was going like am i gonna live like it was like a sar- like a little sarcastic like maybe i don't know jokey thing he was being jokey about it but he did look terrible okay well yeah well uh, after he talked to uh tin man he was all like, looked like he was car sick. Yeah, he looked like hell. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Picard though <laughs> is saying, "No, I'm I'm trying to think of like how does that fit into the story? Like, is is he sick or is he? Is I'm he, sure he is. Like at this point in the story, is he on a one track mind to like get yes, inside yes. the thing? Yeah, he, he wants is. to get in there. So is he get on in there? So he could be lying about being okay even because yeah. he, he knows be. he wants to get he's in. Got there. A, he's got to Riker it up because okay. Picard there. is talking to Tam and he's like. All right, so Gom 2, which is Tin Man. Can you talk to it to get it to leave the star and come to Federation space? Like, can you do that? Because this thing's about to blow up. And Tam's like, you don't get it. He knows it's going to blow up. This thing is an ancient being. There used to be millions of these things. But not anymore. It's all alone. There, there used to be things inside of it. These, like, a crew. And something happened. And, and like, he's feeling... This deep pain of Gomtu. Glorbarp. Of Glorbarp. Pizza. And he's about to, like, he almost keels over, and Troy is like, hey, man, chill. You're getting too deep in this. He's like, I know. You're in too deep, man. Yeah, you're, you're in, in too, too deep. deep. So, I'm in too deep. But, <laughs> but Tam is like, look, 
We, it's it's orbiting the star because it wants to die. It wants to blow up. It's mm. the last of its kind, and there's really nothing that we can do unless I'm aboard. If I'm aboard, it maybe can change. And Picard's like, look, I, I just don't trust you. Over my dead body. And Tam is like, okay, I get that you don't trust me, and I know that I messed up earlier, but if you don't put me on that ship, we fail the mission. And the Romulans have it. Or we don't know what happens. So put me on that ship or don't. But it's, uh, it's, it's trying to kill itself. And only I can convince it not to. So, you know, they, they pretty much have to put him on there. Uh, in the meanwhile, Jordy is, like, fixing the ship. Uh, so Picard is talking to Troy about this and, and Data. And Data's basically kind of developed this relationship with Tam. And Troy is like, look, he's not stable. I get that. But he's his heart is in the right place. Mm-hmm. Like, we can trust his motives. We yes. can't trust his ability. Yes, which I thought was such an interesting critique of his right. personality. Like, his motives are going to be true and just, but his his ability to know what's right and wrong... Right, is that we be can't trust. So, so they got to send Data over there with him, just yeah. basically keep him stable. Uh, but he's not going to, like, backstab anybody. While this is happening, they pick up the Romulan Warbird, the second one, mm-hmm. and it's on its way. Uh, Enterprise tries to talk to them and doesn't work. Uh, they're just like, yeah, this thing killed our friend. We have the right of vengeance, and you're not going to stop us. Enterprise is like, nope, we we have the right to defend this living being. So there might be another battle. Uh, Tam and Data, they beam over onto Gomtu, and it's this weird, like... Keep up. <laughs> onto Bleep Blorp, and it's this weird little, <laughs> like, biological thing. It's like they're inside of a whale, basically. Yeah, it's kind of creepy looking. Yeah, and that's, that's a cool little set yeah. for 30 seconds of That's where footage. it makes those yeah. noises and stuff. And Tam almost breaks down because, as he says, Gomtu is trying to relay his entire, like, eons of life into my head at once. Mm-hmm. But Data now, keeps hitting the comms badge, but it's just not working. It doesn't work. Yeah, can't it get doesn't through. do anything. Uh, but now Tam is okay, and he's able to figure out the entire layout of the ship. Like, he puts his hand on the wall, and it, like, sinks in at one point, and Data can't do it. So, like, he's got this relationship with the ship now. Mm-hmm. Like, it speaks to him. In a relationship. Ship. Yeah. A relationship, uh. yes. Cat <laughs> uh, edit. And, and th- and this is where uh, Tam starts to explain <laughs> what the crew was. Yeah, the crew was like this symbiotic kind of thing. They were like parasites almost, but like they kept the ship company and they helped run it and they got to live on it. I think it's supposed to be a whale analogy. Yeah, where you have the whale and they the have the parasites that, yeah. that like live within the whale's mouth and they keep the whale's mouth clean. Mm-hmm. They both like it's, it's not really a parasite at that point. It's symbiotic. Like they both help each other out and give each other purpose. Yeah. So they also have this weird thing on Gom Two where like it has this shield that breaks the transporter lock from the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And it deflects, like, sensors. So That's why the comms badge shouldn't work. That's why nothing works. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, the Warbird and the Enterprise, like, they're about to fight. Space battle. And Tam and Data are, like, crawling through the ship. And it's, like, a weird biological thing. It changes, but Tam is able to 
navigate to this big interior chamber, which is like the bridge, mm-hmm. basically. And it has like a view screen and all this other stuff. Well, he makes it appears for him because they're yeah. psychically a captain's connected. chair. Well, the chair, you know, it's super cool about that. They made the chair out of wax. Whoa! Yeah, melted it, melted and then it down the footage and re- backwards. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Yeah, you only get one f- fun fact. You know that? Yeah. <laughs> you don't get to have two. You wasted your fun fact That's on the it. stethoscope thing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so listeners, forget about that. <laughs> oh, well, I thought that was really fun. Oh. But this is the part where, like, Tam is <laughs> like... from the record. <laughs> Tam is talking about how, like, the uh, the crew provided GOM to purpose. But Data says, well, is purpose the reason for existence? You know, going back to the conversation that they had earlier. And Tam has totally lost himself in this thing. And oh, now, yeah. finally, he's like... I'm not going back. This is where I belong. <laughs> the alone ro- on the ship. Alone on the ship. Yeah. Uh, well, not alone. He's got Gomtu. Yeah, Gomtu has him. Yeah. At now, this, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. I'm just going to interject here. Um, I, th- I think this is lovely, but also it's like I-, I wanted to mention when Picard was like that scene where we talked about with about trust or whatever. I think they make a point in this episode of having Picard be like, "Can we trust him? He's going to endanger my crew or whatever." And you know, Deanna says, like, I'll believe he'll do what he's right. But it's like, I think that uh, this was his plan all along, right? He knew yeah. that he could go to this thing and he wanted to die with it, mm-hmm. I think. And so, like, that that scene sort of, like, the underbelly of it is that, like, you know, really Picard was so worried about him endangering the rest of the crew that he never thought about, well, what about himself? You know, and it's like, and even Deanna doesn't even, it doesn't come across her mind that he mm-hmm. wants to endanger himself, and it's like, uh, I just think it's a good character moment for Picard to say he's always worried about like what someone is going to threaten him and not really focusing on what is the problem with this person that I need to sort of nurture mm-hmm. within them. I don't know. That's just my take on that. No, I agree. I think the whole time, Tam, it's, he knew he would never leave once he got there. Right. Well, and, and but the, everyone on the ship sees him as like, what are you? You're weird. Like, you're a threat to us. And like, what's mm-hmm. your ulterior motive here? But really, he's just looking for someone who will understand him. Mm-hmm. Right. And yep. even Deanna doesn't like she sees him as like a problem. Right. Picard sees him as a problem. And Data is really the only character on the ship, at least, who sees him as like. Uh, someone who's welcome in this life. You know, he's a guest star on our episode. <laughs> That's right. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, so there's, keep in mind, while this is happening, the Romulans and the Enterprise are about to, like, fight. But the only thing preventing it is maybe the star is about to blow up. Yeah, it's showing all the signs. Yeah. It's retracted, like, uh, I think, like, 1.2 hundred thousand I think Riker says it's happening. Yeah. And Tam is on the ship, and he's telling Data. He's like, I'm going to send you back, but I want you to tell them why I stayed. And it's because my mission was to save Gom too, and I think I did. And it's by melding with him and becoming what he needed and him becoming what I needed. So I'm staying. I'll I, see you later. I have a quick complaint here. <laughs> yeah. I think in this scene he actually says Tin Man, right? Yeah, he calls he him Tin Man, Tin Man instead of Gom I think the better storytelling is to have him have only him say, say Gom too. Because yeah. he knows his name, and now they're connected mentally. Yes. I completely yep. agree. That's my biggest pet peeve with this episode is why do they keep calling him Tin Man? By act... Well, I think the moment that he feels connected to the thing, he should only call only him call it its name. Yes. It yep. was very strange to me. 
Tin yep. Man is not odd. his name. Tin Man is a code name given to him by the Federation. Yeah, so why does he keep saying it? It's, I don't that, know. I, I don't it, know. It, it irks it's me weird. watching it, and I'm glad that you guys... Yeah, oh, it drove me I crazy. I picked that up, too. Uh, so after this happens, he does you know that spinny thing again. He knocks the Enterprise way the hell back, and the star explodes. The Enterprise watches a supernova, so we know Tam is dead. We know Gom 2 is dead. That we don't know they're bird, dead. Well, uh, I think they're dead. They're pro- I think it was a suicide mission. Up. It was a suicide mission. We don't see them die. We don't see them die, but come on. But do you see them in season seven? Maybe. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, okay, maybe. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think so, but maybe. Uh, well, we know I, the I, Romulans are dead. The Romulans are dead. I th- but I think the point is that he dies, right? I yeah, think he was he was going down with the ship. Mm-hmm. He was giving it a, a, a meaning right before it went out. Yeah, farewell. it was giving him purpose at the end of his life, and he was giving it yes, purpose. Yes, that's at the why end of he its decided life. to stay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Data, or they're traveling around space, having sure, good times, maybe. getting into shenanigans. We don't know. We don't know. Damn and gum too <laughs> in space. But Data survived. Data comes back on the bridge, and he tells him all that stuff. Tam and gone to <laughs> two electric boogaloo. <laughs> That's the sequel. The Tin Man and the Tam Man <laughs> floating through the galaxy. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So Data's like, Data's like, uh, yeah, this is what happened. Uh, super weird. This is going to be hard to explain to the Federation, but that's what happened. And they go back to Starbase 123. They actually place. go to a different star, star base. They say it at the end, and it's like, we're going oh, to a different starbase? Yeah. They, I thought it was one, two, three. No. So they fixed this one. It's like four or whatever. Oh, it's a normal number. Yeah, it's a normal, just like odd number. Well, they got to get repairs. So yeah. they're heading back to that. And uh, the last scene, Data's in the observation lounge, and he's kind of looking out at the stars. And uh, Troy comes and talks to him. And Data's like, you know, I thought it was strange that Tam wanted me to explain what happened. And he hoped that you would understand. And what I saw was just so strange that Tam and Gamtu were these imperfect uh, but gifted things that found each other uh, against impossible odds, like through the end of the universe. And they were meant for each other in one way or the other. That's just really strange. I've never felt that belonging. And Troy's like, you know, I think... Data, actually, you you have, and you've begun to understand like what that's like. And Data says that he belongs on the Enterprise, and that's the end of the episode. See, it's very sweet, but again, imagine if the scene is reversed, where Deanna comes in, and she says, like, you know, like, Data, I feel like you're the only person I can talk to right now. And she says, you know, it's like the whole time I thought that he was my patient. I thought I had to fix him. But what I see is that, like, you know, em- like knowing empathy and knowing thoughts, it's like, um, it's about what I, what I don't hear as much as what I hear. You know, like, there's a way to do the same exact scene. That's not what we got, though. But have an arc bah, 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 bah. It's oh. Data. It's a Data episode, <laughs> not Troy. Sorry. <laughs> they tricked you. I know. They yep. made you think it was going to be a Troy episode. Nope. Nope. It's about Data. All about Data. That's me. I th- <laughs> I thought it was a great, but that data arc is really great. Yeah, I know. If like only if only they could flesh out Troy like this. Yeah, I know. And never. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. I think that it's it's a great data. I thought that the last scene was lovely. I actually thought it could have ended before that scene. Yep. 
Um, I thought the scene was a little unnecessary, but I still like liked how it ended. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I mean, I, I, are we getting into ratings? Or well, I can do my thing. Yeah, yeah do it. Well, Zach. This is the part of Patrick where we like to rate what we just saw. If we thought it was amazing, must watch Star Trek. We set to kill. If we thought it was pretty good, comes up in the queue, give it a listen. We set to stun. And if it was horrible, avoid at all costs, we leave it in the holster. So, Zach, what'd you think? Uh, keep in mind, I'm grading on a curve here because I've only seen it since season one. But I, I, I honestly really like this episode. I thought that I think I would give it set to kill. Yeah! Um, I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned earlier that I thought it was closer to prestige TV than the other episodes I saw. I don't mean that it's as good as you know TV now or prestige TV, what we would call that. Mm-hmm. But I think that this was an episode that really felt like it cared about its characters, knew its characters really well, and was attempting to now tell stories that bring these characters' uh, dimensions into new light. And like, even though you know, I think that it would have been. A better episode if it had focused on a Deanna arc. I think that we still got a really good episode out of what it taught Data. And I think that that actor was great. And I, I really... There were parts of the episode where I was skeptical. But in the end, I think they told a really good story about what it means to like have uh, an obsession and an identity and then to find your place in life. I thought it was good. That's awesome. Patrick? Set to stun. Oh, yeah, why? he's Sorry. not running on a curve. Yeah, <laughs> well, well no, seen I've seen I've three. seen a lot of the other ones, and uh, you know it. Uh, part of it is that it's a data episode that's not great, even great for fleshing out data. It fleshes out stuff we've already seen before, hmm. and could have been Troy. Could have used that as an opportunity. Uh, it's, I don't know. It feels like a one-off that is not going to have much impact on the rest of the series and that we also needed backstory for, which was weird. Because mm. it took me a long time to figure out what the hell Riker's problem was uh, uh, with Tam, for instance. And I don't know. It it was kind of clunky at the beginning. Like, what, leading up to when they finally reached Tin Man. Yeah. Uh, that whole thing. And... If it was the last half of the episode, I'd say set to kill. Mm. But everything leading up to there, it was like, I don't know. The buildup was kind of clumsy to me, if yeah. that makes sense. No, I agree. And I think, honestly, for me, too, it's a set to stun. Mm-hmm. Uh, really enjoy the episode. I think you should watch it. Not not the best. It's not bad. It's not bad I'm not all. saying it's bad. I, I think you hit on something really interesting, Zach. Uh, for me and my point of view of Star Trek in general, and and you're hitting on here, and and because you took a break between basically late season one all the way to season three, uh, you're jumping now to this point in the series where they helped revolutionize how TV was made. Like they, this is why they're such avid Star Trek fans and avid Star Trek Next Generation fans is because storylines like this, they weren't happening on TV. This was one of the first series to really be pushing character development in this way. And to have, um, in Next Generation and then in Deep Space Nine even more so, these overarching character arcs that matter and things that are happening over time and lore being established in ways that are keep, we keep drawing on and, and reaffirming or changing the way characters uh, perceive the world. 
like that is one of the magical things about Star Trek and why it has had such a long-lasting fan base. And we've sat through some garbage movies and some garbage series that come out later because they were able to do this in a time period where, you know, think it's it's the early '90s. Think about what TV was like. It didn't it didn't have this type of storytelling going on, or at least not as as frequently as we see it today. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know you have here where you're introducing a character whose sole purpose really is to add a thematic contrast to the characters you've already established, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's he's a Betazoid just like Deanna is, but he has a variation to him, right? Yes. And he uh, shows a new light to Data, and it's like... And even, even Picard, like, has a different point of view than this guy has. It's like, I think in season one, all the guest star episodes we saw was just, like... They're, like, some weird offbeat, like, thing about plot, right? And I think here... Your guest, your guest star is all about the character and like how do we do a variation on the universe we've established? I really liked it. I, I mean, I would probably set it. Not my, I'm not gonna renege on my rating. No, no, no. I think I really liked it, but I think this is the first episode that I've really seen of the whole series where I'm like, I appreciate the storytelling they're attempting right. here. Right. Well, yeah, it went in season one. It went from, and this is why I think your take on this is so interesting to me, because you skipped a bunch of time. So you're acting more like a human being who would have watched this series in real life compared to Patrick and I who are going episode by episode discussing every episode in depth, right? You Like, think about, again, TV in the time mm-hmm. period. You would have watched a couple episodes of season one, been like, what the heck am I watching? I'm not really into this. And then come back around season two or three and caught a couple of really good episodes and then been like, oh my gosh. This is great, right? Well, yeah, like, I mean, I mean, I mean, this show is set up as sort of a procedural. Yes, it's a it's a sci fi procedural. It was a monster of the week show in season one. Right, but now it's like you know, oh, I understand what Data's deal is. I know what you know Deanna's deal is. Yes, and here we have a character who's making me question what their deal is about, and uh, I think. I and I also think like I just think that character is really interesting. I think that actor did a great job, and I yeah. thought it was. It, it, it whereas season one felt like. They're just sort of shoehorning in these weird. Season one off felt like aliens. a lot of things, man. <laughs> no, right. Where yeah, it's like, I totally agree. In this case, it's like you know, I honestly think that this actor approached this episode. He's like, I'm gonna do the best job I can. I this think nameless he, actor, I know, but I did not bother to look up. We'll look him up, and it's like, but yeah, and I think that's the thing too. At this point, Harry content, Groner, I think, is his name. Harry Groner, I think. What an unfortunate name. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, dude. Great acting. Sorry, man, if you're listening, Harry. Um, he's got like he's got half an egot. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's doing way better than us. Don't worry. Don't worry about old Harry. <laughs> yeah, he's got a, a super popular podcast. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he does. The Groner groans. <laughs> he's watching every episode of Star Trek. It the might be Grainer because it's like one of those German names that's O E. So who knows? Yeah. But I do think, again, why I didn't set it to kill is because we've seen the bar get raised pretty high in this season. And the, it, in all the things you're, you're saying are very positive about this episode. We've seen some really great examples of. Uh, I'll take you back through them right now after we turn off the microphones and force you to watch Star Trek with me for the rest <laughs> of the night. How's that Now it's your turn. <laughs> all right, great. Anyway, uh, Zach, is there anything you want to talk about, plug, before we get out of here? Um, no, thank you for having me on. Um, you know what? Uh, just find me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Mast, Z-A-C-K-M-A-S-T. And, um, critique my tweets. Tell me how I can be better. (laughs) 
All I want y'all to do is go to uh, our Patreon. Our, our what? Our Patreon. What's that? That is how you can support what we do here at Pat Trek. As I've said multiple times, all of the regular TNG episodes that we do, those will always be free. But we are going to release special content for people that give us, say, $5 a month just to keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. So we'll be doing stuff like the original series. Uh, We've also released some tabletop games that we've done. Probably going to do a little bit more of that. And uh, I also, you know, will release the episodes that, you know, the regular Pat Trek uh, there. You can find it at patreon.com slash Patrick. Yeah, and there's a couple original series episodes coming your way very soon. Yeah, and thanks to everyone that has given, by the way. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, you are, you are true members of Starfleet. Yeah. Uh, you can also listen to The Dungeon Rats. It's a podcast that I do with my friends where we uh, take suggestions from the audience for monsters, plot twists, magic items, anything else you can think of, and deal with them within the game. It's a lot of fun. You can check that out or submit your encounter at thedungeonrats.com or follow me on Twitter at Pat Likes to Tweet because Facebook is for noobs. Let's see what's out there. Peaches. Hot sauce. Peaches. 